Hey guys, the extra today includes full interviews from two of the experts that are going to be speaking at TechShare Pro this week. It's going to be Abby James, who's an AbilityNet Accessibility Consultant, but first of all, George Rhodes, now of the Home Office. Both of them are going to be talking about those pesky public sector regulations and how they're really making that sector sit up and take notice. Hello, my name's George Rhodes. Uh, I was formerly the Digital Accessibility Compliance Lead at Kent County Council, and I've just recently started a new role as an accessibility consultant at the Home Office. Great, and you've very kindly shared some of your research results in the context of the um, new public sector bodies digital accessibility regulations that came into force in the UK on the 23rd of September. Would you be able to provide a brief overview of the research you've been undertaking and why you felt the research was needed? Yeah, sure thing. Um, so this was a personal project. I, I didn't really do this uh, in association with either my new job or my old one. Um, originally, this started out as a question for myself, uh, really to sort of see where we were at with accessibility statements across the UK. Um, because I was I was involved in my previous role with trying to support many of the local authorities in Kent in preparing for the new regulations. I had some time on my hands and wanted to sort of see where everyone else was getting to uh, across the UK. So I had a few uh, initial questions that I wanted to answer. Um, how many statements are out there? What different approaches had been taken? Um, does the presence and quality of an accessibility statement correlate at all with a more accessible site? Um, does, uh, does the number of statements in existence and how compliant they are with the new regulations demonstrate uptake? Um, and also one of the things I did was map uh, where I found statements because I wanted to see if there were any geographical areas that um, sort of demonstrated hotspots for accessibility. And, and briefly, what were the actual findings? Um, some, some people that are listening to the podcast might not have um, read the blog yet. So if you could just share the, the kind of top line results. Mm -hmm. So I've, uh, I've recently just updated the results. So we've got a version two. Um, the original results, which were taken as a snapshot prior to the first deadline of the regulations, uh, so this work was completed over late August, early September, I looked at 601 accessibility statements, or rather public sector websites, uh, some didn't have accessibility statements. Those covered all local government uh, in, in the UK, both county and sort of district slash borough level. Uh, all police forces, fire and rescue services, and universities in the UK. Uh, so out of those 601, um, we, uh, we only had around 23, I think it was, 23 compliance statements, um, which is less than 4%. Uh, 148 of those had uh, some form of partially compliant statement, which could range from... Uh, quite literally a page titled accessibility which had only a very small statement there saying 
we've tried and here's how to contact us all the way up to a really good attempt that had clearly had some work put into it to try and provide uh, supporting information for users that might be having an issue um, and then there, there were around 430 which were that sort of poor level where there wasn't much effort or no statement at all so that, that was about 72 percent of uh, all of the ones that we looked at that really were not up to scratch or useful to, to, to most users we, we felt um, for the version two which I completed yesterday um, <laughs> as, as of recording this this podcast um, we well I say we I've now looked at uh, 1,441 public sector websites, which comprise, again, uh, all of the local government ones that I had already looked at, all of the police forces, fire and rescue service, universities, but now also include uh, all colleges, so further education, uh, and also uh, all NHS organisations that I could find. Um, which, which brought that total up by uh, another uh, 800 or so. Um, and we, we've had some quite interesting results out of those, actually. Um, we're now up to uh, 109 compliance statements, um, which is about 7.6% uh, of, of the total. Um, we've, uh, we've seen a comparative drop uh, in the number of good and partial attempt statements, uh, a little increase in the number of poor statements. Um, so now we're up to 669 uh, poor attempts um, and uh, 487 organisations with no statement whatsoever, which makes up about a third of all statements. So some work to be done. Yes, um, quite. But we have seen some really good uh, things come out of this as well. Since the first deadline has occurred, um, local government particularly has jumped from 16 to 44 compliance statements. So people are starting to get the message. Uh, police is a particularly good example where police forces are now moving to a national standard template for police forces. They have a prepared accessibility statement. So they've moved from no compliant police forces prior to the deadline to 15 within a couple of weeks afterwards. So that's, that's really good to see. Um, so they're, they're up to 15 out of 48 police forces I looked at. Um, so they, they've made a really massive jump. Great. And um, within the blog, uh, the original um, research, you mentioned some, um, some of the accessibility fails and also you um, also noted that there were some poor results that you had found in your second um, set of results. Would you like to share any of those? Yeah. So I, I remember in the in the blog um, that we've already published, uh, we we shared a couple of my sort of favourite uh, love to hate kind of examples. <laughs> um, there there are a couple that are really short and sweet, which in effect say we've built the website to be accessible. If there's any other problem, it's with you and your browser. Uh, those, those ones are all too common. Um, I, I know we, we addressed one 
that starts off with the title I am blind and then uses uh, an image with circles drawn on it to direct the user to to be able to use their assistive uh, technology which obviously doesn't really <laughs> prove very useful for, for, a, for a blind user particularly since the image had no alt text um, but there are a few new sort of bad examples I think I'd like to pick out um, I've seen I've seen ones that have very large images uh, of text in a number of different languages, which was their contact info in, in about 15 different languages as one vast image um, of poor quality and no alt text. I've seen organizations say they will specifically not publish a statement, which they may want to reconsider, considering the um, legal obligations. Um, I've seen some that are very, very outdated, particularly, um, particularly across the NHS, I won't name any particular names, but as a sector, um, I've seen many a statement uh, that references the browser Netscape and how to update that, Netscape having died off uh, around 2008, so particularly outdated there. Um, I've seen statements that are listed as being updated in 2013 with known issues um, that still exist on their website so having not done anything about those for six years um, i've seen statements which still have the uh, insert email address here section in where they were trying to say how to contact them so really not taking much care about this quite important information that they're trying to provide um, and many, many dismissive one-liners, as I said, um, where, where they say they've done everything that they can and uh, it's, it's up to the user to update their browser or they need to, need to learn how to change the text size or colour contrast is, is a very common uh, set of suggestions. But um, overall, I think we are moving in the correct direction. People are starting to get the message and you know, another 80 or so compliance statements within a month of the, the two separate checks that I've done is a good move. It's just there's, there's a lot um, that still needs to be done. And I think there's a lot, of, um, a lot of promotional work that needs to be done in getting people to understand what, what they need to do to meet uh, regulatory compliance. Do you have um, any... Any suggestions for resources for where people that are looking to make adjustments to their accessibility statements can go? So um, there's there's two resources I'd probably uh, I'd probably direct people to. Um, first, there's the uh, GDS sample accessibility statement. I think that's a good place to start. Um, I would advise people to really make sure that they're tailoring that to their needs rather than just copy and pasting it. One of, the, one of the things I've also seen, which I've um, failed to mention up until now, is when people publish a compliance statement based on the, on the um, GDS wording or otherwise, uh, they have a responsibility to um, point out where they have deemed work to be a disproportionate burden. Uh, within the GDS example, they they provide a disproportionate burden example paragraph, which makes mention of the, the WCAG A point uh, about skip to content. 
Um, I would really not consider that uh, a disproportionate burden to fix. Um, and I've seen a number of compliance statements that have effectively copied that directly from GDS. I really don't know how they might have judged that to be a disproportionate burden, but that and other examples um, should really just point to be very, very careful when you're talking about disproportionate burden and make sure you're tailoring any template you're using to your specific website. Uh, the other the other resource I would I would advise is um, a bit of a plug for something we've done. I'm afraid uh, myself and other colleagues, um, some of which are from AbilityNet, uh, have collectively written a um, a digital accessibility toolkit, uh, which can be found at uh, lexdis.org.uk. Um, Within that, we've addressed a large number of points, uh, procurement within accessibility, accessibility statements, the new regs and timelines, uh, a whole host of things. But there, there is um, some accessibility statement guidance there, uh, some of the templates we've used and more information on this research that we've been talking about. Fantastic. Um, those, are, those sound like really useful resources for anybody looking into this and of course we've we've got uh, information on the AbilityNet website as well. Um, you will soon be speaking at a TechShare Pro conference um, on higher education and public sector accessibility um, with uh, our esteemed colleague Abby James um, who is an experienced uh, higher education accessibility expert among other things um, and also Paul Smith who's head of digital accessibility at Barclays and Alistair McNaught formerly of JISC. Do you have any um, suggestions of the types of topics that you'll be covering as part of your panel? I know there's a number of questions that are continuing to circulate and, and myself Abby and Alistair certainly have discussed these in the past um, I'm sure on the day a number of things that will come up will be uh, discussions around substantial revision of websites and uh, how that affects timelines to meet the regulations, particularly for virtual learning environments. Um, disproportionate burden, again, I'm sure is another one that will come up. One that I'd like to see come up more um, would be the discussion about how the new accessibility regulations are intermingling with uh, existing copyright law um, that's that's one that's sort of mulling about at the moment uh, particularly when we're discussing things such as ebook libraries and other subscription to content services I know higher education is, is particularly talking about that um, another one final one would probably be uh, about prioritizing um, sites particularly for large organizations that have massive web estates how they're going about prioritizing what to address first and, and what metrics they're using to try and inform that uh, that's that's another topic i'd like to discuss thanks very much george for your time we'll look forward to seeing the panel at TechShare pro at the end of november thank you so I am here with Abby of AbilityNet, but she's so much more than that. Abby, do you want to introduce yourself? 
<laughs> Thank you, Robin. Yeah, I'm um, an accessibility consultant with AbilityNet, which is a great opportunity to go and work with organisations trying to improve their accessibility. Um, but I also work outside of the charity um, help looking at the policy implications for accessibility. So how we actually um, work with organisations and at a government level and international level, how do we get these great accessibility standards embedded in our laws and our standards and actually just making everybody have that expectation of accessible websites wherever they go. So think of a really busy person and double it and then add on a little bit more. And that's Abby's <laughs> life, basically. Now you're going to be on the one of the expert panels that's going to be about <sighs> regulation to do with accessibility. No, actually, it's going to be super engaging for um, some really good reasons. Yeah. Do you want to tell us about what you're going to bring to this panel? I'm really looking forward to being part of this panel, just to be in the room, because we've got some great experts, people from local government, universities, um, from the corporate sector as well. And we're going to be talking about public sector regulations, web accessibility regulations. As you say, the law, you know, sometimes hits your head against the brick wall when you try and read these regulations. Um, people thinking, oh, well, we don't want compliance culture, etc. But we have a great opportunity at the moment because for the first time um, in the UK and actually across Europe we have uh, laws that require certain organisations just the public sector at the moment to comply with web accessibility standards or work towards those standards but also really really critical is they've got to put that information on their websites and say what they're doing about accessibility and how they're going to help their users so actually Yes, it's boring law stuff, but from the perspective of an assistive technology user like myself, like you, we first time ever we can go to a website, go to our local council, go to our schools, go to our universities, go to our hospitals, look on a particular page and go, actually, I'm going to have a problem with trying to access the information. But look, there's an email address. There's a person I can contact and they can give me help because that's what's part of all these regulations. For the first time, um, organisations have to think about their accessibility, say how they comply, say how they will help people who have difficulties. And then there is that bit of that stick as well of actually, if you do have problems, who to go to in the government and, and get support, make a complaint and potentially We've got a route to make sure that those organisations do comply with these regulations going forward. Absolutely. And yeah, whilst, you know, legislation isn't necessarily kind of a super interesting topic, it's to date, you know, it's been a, a limp twig at best rather than a big knobbly stick, which would complement the very juicy carrots that we talk about as well. And I'm really hoping it's going to shift the needle. And we're actually seeing that, aren't we, in the public sector there is actually an impact already, you know, two decades after arguably, you know, the legislation to do with website accessibility has come into effect. We're actually now seeing a shift in the landscape because of this very legislation. And yeah, it's just we're now having those conversations. People are actually starting to go to their senior managers, they're going to their chairs, they're going to their boards and saying, we've got to take accessibility seriously. This is why. And also, like we'll hopefully have in the room um, at, during the panel, we'll have people who are w willing and able to share their practice and share their questions, share their experience. We've got to learn from each other. My 
comment I will make it any time I talk about accessibility is that it's a journey. It's never complete because technology changes, let alone, you know, getting all those ticks in that compliance standards. It's always going to change. It's always something you've got to be striving to do better at. And these regulations are part of getting people to be open about their accessibility and open about what they can and can't do are starting those conversations, which is great. Absolutely. And having that accessibility page, which people on the face of it, if that's the only kind of headline they've heard, they might think, oh, well, that's just an easy thing to do. And, you know, kind of that's half the job done. But actually that page, what's required there is very stringent. You know, it's very exacting. And it actually includes an awful lot of work prior to being able to publish a compliant accessibility statement, including finding out just how bad your site is and actually having to do something about it. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a sample accessibility statement that the government has published. So you have to follow that in that you have to give layman description of what that means. So you know, what support is in your website? Can you zoom it? Can you use it with a keyboard? You have to give details of alternative formats where it's not accessible. And you have to say what you are going to do to fix the problems you've identified. So that, that and it's quite a formulaic statement. And actually, what we're finding with the organisations we're working from is it's actually a good starting point to actually say, have you thought about all these things? Go away. You know, the question that I so frequently ask and get very little answer of. Do you know in your organisation who deals with the complaints about accessibility issues on your website? People really need to be thinking about those processes internally just as much as the technical side of making sure their documents, their website are all accessible. Because that's the other thing. This isn't just websites. This is all the documents on the websites as well. Absolutely. Now, there are exceptions. You know, if you've got a massive archive of documents, then you start eating that elephant, elephant in, you know, one nibble at a time in a, you know, a sensible priority order, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But yeah, yeah, I mean, we are seeing movement finally, thankfully. And we had a really interesting interview with George Rhodes, who's on a massive uh, project of, of reviewing all of the public sector's um, websites and looking at their accessibility statements and seeing how comprehensive they are, how compliant they are, and how much the reality of the accessibility of the site in question reflect, you know, is reflected in that statement. And sometimes there's a huge mismatch there. So yeah, there's a long way to go, but it's definitely shifting the needle. So, and that again, you know, conversation about accessibility has been really great. So we've been collaborating with George. Um, it came about through a working group the university sector set up to start to think about web accessibility regulations. Uh, and obviously they've got responsibilities around disabled students already. So it came from people involved in that, that area. And George got involved um, in his role in local government. Um, and actually now, you know, as, as a starting with the university sector as a core, but we support anybody who will come and talk to us about the regulations. We're creating resources and sharing best practice and his research is is brilliant. Um, But we need to engage other sectors. This is schools. They have a partial exemption, but they need to be meeting these regulations as well. The whole of the the NHS sector. Mm -hmm. So, you know, not just hospitals and trusts, but doctors' surgeries, anybody who is publicly funded and under public law, um, you know, local governments, parish councils I've heard people working with, not just, you know, our standard Gov UK central government websites. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of sectors out there that um, are only just finding out that this is a legal requirement for them. This is already in place. It's been there for over 12 months. There are 
timelines that are ticking away they should already be publishing these statements but you know people are talking about it I've done some work with museums as well so there's lots of people who are really engaged by this opportunity um, and sharing best practice and you know not just in TechShare Pro but AbilityNet is doing series of webinars um, fact sheets as well to get people to understand um, what they have to do but also what they can potentially do off the back of this as well and how much better this can be for ultimately the people coming to them using their services accessing their digital resources because society is now so digital we are all reliant on accessing online resources online documents just to be part of society brilliant and thank goodness that the b word brexit didn't put paid to the UK <laughs> government uh, bringing this EU legislation into UK law yes. because we're seeing some improvement, which is brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, the B word does come up, but this is UK law. It's on our statute books. Yeah. It's not going away. But our EU uh, compatriots are, are also doing this. So it's a great opportunity to learn from them and to collaborate from them. And that will be part of TechShare Pro. I'm really looking forward to that as well. Um, it's actually on an international scale, learning from other people as well. Brilliant. Looking forward to the event and to hearing you speak along with everybody else. Thank you, Abby. Thanks, Robin. Thanks, Robin.